0: Yeah, we're glad you guys are here. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 15. A couple of announcements. One, uh, you saw the promo clip for summer camp. They have a golf tournament on May 20th to uh, raise some money for scholarships. They can scholarship kids to camp. If you're interested in that, if you know Bill Tanner, you can see him. He's the guy who's kind of pulling that together for us. If you don't know Bill and you want to participate, you can see me and I'll try to help you figure that out. It's $150 a person. I don't know if you have to sign up as a group of four or not. I imagine not because they'll take all of your money. So if you don't have a four, if you have a foursome, you can sign straight up. If you don't, uh, see me and I'll see if I can figure out how to navigate that with you. So that's on May 20th and the proceeds go for uh, scholarships for summer camp. Uh, Also, said that this was the week that we were trying to figure out how much money we, we, we've got to pay for this building their cards in those baskets. Will you grab that if you aren't there? Yes. See if they're baskets and see if they're cards. You already where are the baskets? They're all over the place. Find a basket and grab a card and just take one and pass it down. All I need are three numbers. I don't need anybody's name. The first line is how much total, and then the second is just timing, and the reason we care about the timing is because we try to pay cash for everything, and we've just got to make sure that we have the cash to pay for the projects. So there's one for July 1st and November 1st. Your bottom two numbers should add up to the top number. That would be helpful for us. If you don't know when you can give, then don't worry about it. Just write on the top line. I said before, this is no. there's no guilt here, there's no pressure, you're not giving because I asked you to, and I don't want you not giving out of fear or anything, you just listen to the Lord and do what he says, we're just, brief recap, we're doing some work up the street, pretty significant work up the street for our children and students, the hope is to have all that done before school starts back, that's that July 1st number, we want to have all that work done by the beginning of August, and then that second, that November 1st number is for the work that we're going to do down here. We hope to do that in September and be done by Advent, and so we need the money by November 1st to make that happen. So I'm going to pray. Y'all can fill out that card, and then, Misty, will you send those buckets around? How about after? Because everybody will have their eyes closed because they're praying, so they won't be able to see the bucket. (laughs) There we go. God, I do thank you that you've taken care of us. for five and a half years, and we're, we trust that you'll continue to do so. We've done this three times already, and you've always given us what we've needed, and we just trust that you will continue to do that. And so, God, without any, no fanfare and no drama, just pray that you would um, provide what we need um, to do these expansions, and you would do it in a way that would bless the folks who give. And, uh, God, it would be a blessing to people who are able to come to this uh, renovated space. In Jesus' name, amen. So y'all can fill those things out and drop them in the bucket, and uh, we'll let you know how all that turned out next week. So, Matthew 15, we said we're in the this section where the um, controversy with Jesus is kind of is escalating. There's more overt hostility towards him. And the section we're going to look at today may at first appear to have not a whole lot to do with us. It seems like we've kind of gotten over the issues. That Jesus is addressing, but I think there's, there's an underlying truth there that we need to grab onto. Give you a little bit of background, just for some terminology we're going to hit. Getting, Jesus talks about the tradition of the elders, um, that's also, it's also known as the oral law, and so what you have is God gave the Old Testament, there's 613 commands in the Old Testament, that's the written law, and then rabbis over time added to that. They interpreted, they explained, they helped people figure out how exactly they were supposed to live out this written law. And that became known as the oral law or the tradition of the elders. And it was just as binding and just as forceful as the written law. And so, for instance, Ten Commandments, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's the written law. And then around that, there's 39 activities that the rabbis decided you can't do. If you do those things, then you're working, you're not honoring the Sabbath. So those 39 activities, that's the, that's the oral law. And so Jesus is talking about that. There's something in here called Corban, C-O-R-B-A-N. That's the practice of dedicating your money to the temple or dedicating your money to God. And once you've done that, that money can't be used for anything else. And so um, you can use it for yourself, actually, but nobody else has a claim on it, and then you make the payment upon your death. So if, if I owe Misty some money, but I've dedicated that money and said it's Corban, it's for God only, then Misty doesn't have a claim on that, even though I owe her money. And so that's one of the things that Jesus is criticizing. And you'll see the word hypocrite, and that'll be a big theme for us today. A hypocrite for Jesus was someone who wore a mask. They pretended to be something on the outside that they weren't on the inside. So the fact that you're not perfect doesn't make anyone a hypocrite. That makes you a person. The fact that you sin doesn't make you a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who is projecting an image. There's something on the outside that they're not on the inside. It's a mask wearer. So you can keep that in mind as we go through this section. We're going to read the uh, 20 verses. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. There's that idea of Corban. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth. That is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They're blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain this parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. So what's going on? These people from Jerusalem, religious leaders, come to Jesus, and they're accusing him. They're not asking him. They're accusing him. They're saying, why do your disciples continually break the tradition of the elders, the oral law, these rules that we all are supposed to follow? And Jesus' response is not to answer their question. It's to turn it back and say, well, how come y'all continually break the commands of God? And then he gives them this, for instance, the Bible says, honor your father and mother, but y'all say, if a if a son, either because he's just wicked or in a moment of irritation and frustration and anger at his parents says, this money that I have, I'm going to dedicate it to God, you don't let him go back on that. And so you hold him to that, even if he makes this rash vow, you hold him to it. And so he follows your law, that says this money that's dedicated can't be used for his parents, and in so doing, he actually breaks the command of God that says he's supposed to honor his mother and father. That's hypocrisy. That looks good on the outside, and it's rotten on the inside. God cares way more about hearts than he does behavior. Don't you realize, Pharisees and scribes and teachers of the law, that whether your hands are clean or not has nothing to do with the condition of your heart? There was this very, there was a step-by-step method for how Jews were supposed to wash their hands before they ate. And what Jesus is saying is that doesn't matter. That's not what makes you unclean. We live out of our hearts. It's what comes out of you that determines whether you're clean or unclean, not whether your hands have been washed in the proper way. That's what's going on here. And so what is he saying? He's it's actually a massive statement. For us, it's not that big a deal because we live on this side of it and I think all of us are Gentiles. I don't know if we have any people who have Jewish background in here or not. We've, we've kind of grown up this way for 2,000 years. You can eat whatever you want. That's why you, ate, you eat bacon. It's because Jesus said this. And it's why you eat shrimp. It's because Jesus said this. What he's saying is all food is clean. In Mark's version of this, it actually is in parentheses. It says, in saying this, Jesus declared all food to be clean. And so you can eat whatever you want. There's not clean food and unclean food anymore. And even bigger than that... The whole set is called the—it's these ritual purity laws. Jesus just got rid of them. That's why uh, if you read Leviticus, just for fun, most of it doesn't apply to you anymore. Here's what you do if you've got mildew. And here's what you do if you have an infectious skin disease. And here's what you do after you have kids. None of the women, none of this stuff applies anymore. We let women come to church after they have babies. They don't have to sit out for 30 days because they're unclean. And that those things, they don't apply in the Old Testament, those were seen as being clean, unclean. That's what made me right or not right with God. Jesus is saying that's actually not the case. It's what's going on in your heart, not what's going on externally that makes you right or not right with God. For us, again, that seems simple. Like, we get that. We've grown up in this world where we can eat what we want, and we, don't, we think mildew is gross, but we don't think it's a sin, and it somehow separates us from God. And we, we get that, so we say, well, we understand. There's actually, I think, something deeper going on here for all of us to grab onto. There's two different ways that you can approach God. This was the Pharisee's idea. I'm using the word alignment. You can pick something else, how you approach God, what does it look like to be in a right relationship with God. I kind of like the idea of tracking with him, so I'm saying alignment. And the Pharisee's idea is that God, there's God, and, and what he's done is he's given us a written law, and then there's this oral law. So there are all of these commands, again, There's 613 commands in the Old Testament plus all the oral law added to it. And what God wants is for us to follow the rules. He gave us the rules so we would follow the rules. And so our chief concern is our behavior, what's going on externally with us. That's why the Pharisees were such good rule keepers is because they thought it's a direct connection. The, how well I do personally and how well we do corporately at following the rules, that dictates our relationship with God, that determines the amount of favor and blessing that we have with him. The better we are at keeping the rules, the better it is for all of us. If we fall down on the job, then God is going to judge us. And so that is their understanding. Jesus comes on the scene and has a different understanding. He says, yes, there's God and he has given you a written law, but what he's looking at first is your heart. He's looking at what's going on inside of you. And then out of that, there's behavior and there's these external things. For us, that's not a big deal. That's a seismic shift for the people who are hearing this for the first time. My contention, there's what, 7.2 billion people in the world? The overwhelming majority of them, however they conceive God, the, the God of the Bible, Allah, the rocks and trees, whatever it is that they worship, most of them think that their version of God cares mostly about behavior. It's radical to say God cares most about your heart. He cares primarily about what's going on inside of you and only secondarily about what you're doing. That's a radical truth that Jesus is injecting into this situation. It's why he made everybody so mad. He's, he's fundamentally changing the ground on which people approach God. He's fundamentally kind of changing the scorecard. Here's what it looks like to be right with God. You think, you've thought for thousands of years what makes you right with him is how well you follow the rules, how well you keep the law. I'm actually saying that's not the case at all. It's your heart first, and then out of this renewed, cleaned, hot, clean heart comes behavior, different way of looking at things. It's the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, don't commit murder. Okay, so as long as I don't kill anybody, then I've followed the letter of the law. I've done what God wanted me to do, right? So I haven't killed, I'm 38 years old, and I've never killed anybody. So have I or have I not followed that, that commandment? The Pharisees would say, yeah, you're doing great. Jesus says, but I say to you if, you, if you harbor anger in your heart towards someone else, you're in danger of the fire of hell. Now, I have been angry once or twice. So how does that work? Jesus is taking the law and he's pushing it back into my heart. You've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. I've been married for 16 years, I've never done that. So have I kept the command, yes, but Jesus says, if you look at a woman lustfully, then you've already committed adultery with her in her heart. Now, I've never done that either, so I'm good on both of those pieces. You have to. He's pushing the law back into our hearts and saying it's not enough to follow the letter. What is it? 2 Corinthians 6. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It's not 6. It might be 3. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What he's saying is not enough to follow the letter of the law. You've got to figure out what's the spirit of the law, and that's, what, that's why Jesus is concerned about heart. Let's look at this next thing. So there's behavior. Some of you hate the way I dissect things, but this is what I do. So there are behaviors, and there's two pieces of it. There's your motivation, and there's your action. For the Pharisees, the only thing that matters is, is if you're on the right side of that vertical line. If you're on the right side of the y-axis, then you're good. It doesn't matter why you do things. It only matters what you do. And so whether it's good fruit or I'm saying down there in that third quadrant, hypocrisy, they don't care. All they care about is outcomes. Jesus comes along and says that, that actually not, that's not the case. What matters to Jesus is if you're above that horizontal line, if you're above the x-axis. That's what he cares about. It's, it's heart for him. And so there's four quadrants. The first is A for effort. We live there a lot. That is the best of intentions. Feeling like we're being led by the Lord and blowing it massively. Great heart, poor execution. This happens all the time for us. Full of zeal and passion. Not a ton of wisdom in how we're actually executing. Jesus is, I, I, my opinion is Jesus is good with that. As I read through the gospels, he grabs onto people who break ceremonial rules over and over and over again and do it with the, with the good heart. This woman who comes to him who's bleeding and grabs his, the edge of his garment, she's breaking all kinds of rules. And what does he say? She's healed. Her faith has healed her. She's A for effort. She didn't do things necessarily the right way. Her heart was there. She was trying to connect with Jesus. Woman who comes in and washes his feet with her tears. Again, she's breaking all kinds of rules. Jesus blesses her for that. He doesn't have any problems stepping over some of the lines that have been created for him. And so the same thing is true for us. Some of you do that. Again, you're, you're full of passion and you have these great ideas and you feel like God's saying, go for it, and you go for it, and the thing blows up in your face. A for effort. Good fruit, that's what we want. That's where we want to spend most of our time. That's good heart and good execution. Hypocrisy, that third quadrant. That's where the Pharisees lived. Poor motivation, good execution, look good on the outside, rotten on the inside, and then rotten fruit. Nobody wants that. That's poor motivation and poor execution. Here's my contention. I think we're tempted to live in that third quadrant a lot more than we recognize. I think there's a massive temptation for us, a massive pull for us towards hypocrisy. Now, none of us are I think, are willing to say, yeah, I'm all about image and I don't really care what's going on in my heart. For us, what it looks like is the temptation to live superficially before God. That's what hypocrisy is. It's a superficial relationship with God. It's a veneer. And we're, I think, constantly tempted to live superficially before him, to live down in that third quadrant. Now, none of us want to say we're rotten on the inside, and I don't know that that's the case. But I think a lot of us live disengaged on the inside. There's some stuff going on externally, but our hearts are not necessarily engaged with God. There's no depth there. Again, it's a, we're, we're, we're tempted to this superficial relationship with him. For some, it, it has to do with initially how they relate to God. We live in the Bible Belt. You go talk to 10 people. You say, are you a Christian? All 10 of them, if they're from the South, are going to say yes. And then you ask them why. And what they're going to say, half of them, will start by telling you how good a person they are. That's, what they're gonna, that's, that's the water that we swim in. We're Christians because of our behavior, because of how good a person we are, because of where we went to church, or because we were baptized when we were young. We're Christians. We're in a right relationship with God because of our track record, because of our resume, because of what we have done. That's part of what it... There's some great things about being raised in the Bible Belt. That's one of the things that's not so great, is there, a lot, there are a lot of people, and some of you maybe even sitting in this room, who feel like you're good. You're in a right relationship with God. And if I were to press and say, why, what you're going to start giving me is your resume. That's not why you're in a right relationship with God. You're in a right relationship with God because you're trusting Jesus. And if you're not, then you're not, no matter how good you are. That's the gospel. And it's it's wonderful. That means you don't have to try so hard anymore. You can just trust him. So for some of us, it's this pull towards superficiality. It has to do with the initial connection to God. It's based on our behavior. There's a For some of us, it's it's ongoing. Maybe we get it at some point. We recognize, you know what, I need a Savior. I'm not good enough on my own. And we ask to be rescued, and we're rescued, and grace comes into our life. But then there's this, again, this constant temptation in our ongoing relationship with God to move towards superficiality. We do it, some of you may, uh, reading the Bible is the easy thing to pick on. A lot of you read the Bible uh, a couple of times a week. You open it up, you either read a chapter or a verse or whatever the devotional God tells you, and you do that. And then you close it and you go on. And if I were to ask you, if I were to call you five minutes later and say, so what did you read this morning? You'd say, the Bible. And I would say, what did it say? And you would say, stuff about God. And that's what you would tell me. You don't know. You read it with your eyes and it was wonderful. That's good. But your heart wasn't engaged. The point of reading the Bible is not to say you read the Bible. The point of reading the Bible is to learn more about who God is. And so if I'm not, if I'm not, if there's no revelation coming in. If I'm not growing in my understanding of who He is, then that makes me who Jesus is talking about. He says to them, "Your lips—what does He say? People honor me with their lips, but their hearts are from me, far from me." What He'd say to me is, you're, you're, "You're honoring me with your eyes. You're reading the Bible, but your heart's not engaged at all. You're not even paying attention." Some of you are married. You get that sometimes your spouse is talking and you're watching TV. Are you listening to me? Yeah. You're not. Like, maybe on some level, you can, yes, I this there were sound waves coming in my ear, but truly, were you listening? Not you, And that's how it can be in our relationship with the Lord as well. We take form over function. We can do it in worship all the time, and we, we can think about songs and volume and length and wh- when do the hands go where and are the eyes open or closed and... And we do that with ourselves and we do that with other people. Like, that guy's got his hands in his pockets. He doesn't love Jesus. Or whatever. We do that with people when they're in worship. It's form over function. You don't have any idea what's going on in somebody's heart. You don't, I don't know if you're engaging or not engaging. You might have your eyes closed because you have a headache. It might not have anything to do with connecting with the Lord. But we do that. Form over function, a huge temptation for us. We do it in prayer. For some of us, when we know we need something from God coming up, somebody's sick and we want them healed, or we've got a decision and we need direction, or things are tight and we need provision, we clean up our act. And we live right for a couple, we try to live better for a couple of weeks, and that way when we ask God to do whatever it is we're going to ask Him to do, we feel like, see, I've been a good kid for the past couple of weeks, so now you've got to give me my allowance. You, know, you need to pay me for this stuff that I've done. Superficiality. It's connecting with God based on my track record, not based on my heart. That's what the Pharisees did. They said, God, look at how well we're living. Therefore, bless us in our land. And some of us do the same thing in prayer. God, look at how well I'm doing in life. Therefore, hear my prayer and give me what I want. I had lunch with a guy a couple of weeks ago, and we sat down. I'd never met him before. And I said, so what's the story? And he said, I'm angry with God. Okay, tell me why. 30 minutes. And he's had it bad. No question, he's had it rough. And what what he's saying, he says, "I've done all of these good things, and I haven't done any of these bad things." And he's right. He's done a lot of good things, and he hasn't done a lot of bad things. And he's saying, "My life stinks," and he's right. In a lot of ways, his life stinks. It's not fair. You're right. It's not fair. God should treat me better based on the good things I have done and the bad things I haven't. That's where he misses it. No, that's not grace, and that's not mercy. That's being a Pharisee. That's saying, God, treat me based on my track record. And ultimately, none of us come out well if we're being treated based on our track record. Tempted to live superficially when it comes to growth. People like me say, here, I'm going to give you five steps to a better marriage. Here's seven things you can do to have righteous children. Here's three things you can do for financial. We just give you steps. There's nothing to do with what's going on in your heart. It's just, here, turn the crank. Do these things, practice this technique, and you'll get these results. It could very well be that doing those three things will give us a better marriage. Or it could be the reason our marriage struggles is because I'm selfish. And doing your three steps, ain't going to change that. Something with my heart has to change first. And that's where Jesus goes. He goes to the heart first versus starting with the behavior, dealing with sin. We do that superficially. We deal with sins with the lowercase s instead of sin with a capital S. It's behavior modification. And so if you're a guy, you've trained yourself, I'm not going to watch certain TV programs or go to certain sites on the internet or look in certain directions at the gym. And you train yourself to do that, and that's good. But if you never deal with the issue in your heart that makes you want to look at those things and watch those things, you haven't done much. It's going to come out in a different way. You haven't dealt with the sin. And we say, I'm not going to... We We come up with all kinds of creative ways of not saying certain words. We substitute or first letter it or we spell it or we do whatever we do. We don't deal with the heart issue that says, why do those things come out of me in the first place? Am I an angry person? And we don't deal with that. There's dealing with sins with the lowercase s. It's just behavior modification. You can teach a monkey to do that. And there's dealing with sin with a capital S which says, there's something in me that needs to change. That's deeper than my behavior. There's something in my nature that needs to change. And when that changes, then the fruit will change as well. The primary issue, and this is where Jesus and the Pharisees saw things different. The primary issue, fundamentally, we're not good people who occasionally do bad things. And therefore, we just need a little more information or we need to work a little bit harder. We need to do a little little bit better. We're fundamentally wicked people who occasionally do good things. And we need new hearts. That's the key for us. We live out of our hearts. That's Proverbs 4. Guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. We live from the inside out. If my heart is clean, then what comes out of my heart is clean. If my heart is dirty, then what comes out of my heart is dirty, no matter how it looks to anybody else. It doesn't matter the judgments that we can make on one another's behavior. Even the judgments we make on our own behavior. They're faulty. Only God can see Our heart. And that's why he starts there. Because he knows that's where we start. We live there. And if he can fix that. Then he can fix everything. What is it? Ezekiel 36. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take out the heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. We're going to start from scratch here. I'm going to give you something. I'm going to make what's in here. The place that you live out of. I'm going to make that new and clean. I'm going to bring it to life. And then the, the stuff that comes out of you. Will be new and clean and life-giving as well. This is 2 Corinthians 6. From now on, uh, starting in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he's committed to us a message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And so my question to you is, where do you need saving today? Or another way of looking at it, where are you living superficially today? We're all tempted to live superficial lives towards in, some, in certain areas. Where are you today? Would you say you're living superficially before the Lord? Remember that parable of the soils? What happens to the plant in shallow soil? Burns up and dies when things get difficult. We want to see you stand firm to the end. And the only way that happens is if there's depth in your relationship with God, which means it's got to go beyond behavior to your heart. You got to let him in here or there's never going to be sufficient depth to carry you through the difficulties of life. Everything may look great on the outside and some of you are super competent and you can keep it together for a long time. But at some point, the heat's going to be turned up so much you're going to wilt and die if there's not sufficient root. So make a decision this morning to move from superficial to deep to move from external only to internal. Give him access to your heart and let him start from the inside out. Let's pray. God, I do pray for every man and woman in the room. God, I pray that each of us, you would convict us of the areas of our life where we're living superficially. It may be in terms of how we connect with you. It might be in relationships, dealing with, I don't know. I pray you bring conviction to any place in our life where we're living superficially. God, that we would repent of that. We would open up and say, work on my heart in that area, in those places in my life where, that are dead and dry. God, I pray that you would pour your spirit to bring renewal in life. God, we don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to be people who look great on the outside and there's nothing going on internally. And so I invite you to come and to work in our hearts in a deeper level in every area of our life. If there are any here this morning who aren't in a right relationship with you, say, I'm say, I'm not lined up. They're approaching you based on the wrong grounds. Lord, I pray that you would call them home and say, listen, you don't have to work so hard. My deal is better than your deal. I'll take your sin and I'll give you my righteousness. How about that? And all you have to do is receive it. God, would you speak that invitation to them in a way that they would understand? This morning in Jesus name amen we're going to close with ministry we'll have ministry teams up here in the corner we'll pray for you about anything that you've got going on um I was thinking this morning one of the things for me that's a little bit off the message is this idea of God's goodness if you would say there's an area in your life where you're really not experiencing the goodness of God I'd love to pray with you just that God would encourage you in that area and do some moving around in your circumstances so you guys can stand we'll have ministry teams in the front and vote will dismiss us after this